Hello and welcome back to the Ear Fuel Podcast. As always, I'm Joel Freemark, and you can follow me on Twitter at at GetEarFuel and at the Daily Guru. The podcast is always available in the iTunes and Google Play stores under EarFuel and at GetEarFuel.com. This week, as promised back in episode 47, I'm going to dig into some of the most important but forgotten women in music, as well as some kick-ass current projects that you need to know about. But before we get to that, a quick album review. The album I want to review today is the brand new one from Goldfrap, and it's called Silver Eye. Now, full disclosure, there are a few things that get me more giddy than the promise of a new album from Goldfrap, and after hearing one of the first singles, the song Ocean, I was more than excited for this record. Ocean is actually the album's final track, and when it was released, I was hoping it was going to be a preview of the sound upon which this record was built. You see, there are two sides to Goldfrap. There's the dance anthem geniuses that created tracks like Ooh La La and Strict Machine, and then there are the masters of dreamy ambient sounds that pretty much define the truly essential Felt Mountain album. Allison and Will, who are the two people that make up Goldfrap, are beyond capable in both of these areas, and when they do it right, they do it better than just about anybody else. The problem is this. Over their last few records, they've tried to deploy both sounds on the same album, and it ends up a bit of a jumbled mess. Save 2013's Tales of Us, and for me, it's been a bit over a decade since Goldfrap really nailed an album from beginning to end. But again... I was hopeful with the complexity of the track Ocean, but the flip side was that the first single and the album opener, song called Anymore, well, it's basically one long chorus section that kinda goes nowhere. Sadly, this was the direction and idea I felt on almost every single song on this record. The songs just go nowhere. While there are a number of orchestrations that I really enjoyed, like the song Become the One and The Beast That Never Was, the vocals just aren't right, which is damn near sacrilegious when that vocalist is Alison Goldfrapp. But it's true. She seems more than disengaged on almost every song. While that approach, the whole, you know, disengaged, disjointed vocal, it can work from time to time. In this case, it just lost me very quickly as a listener, and it lost me a bit as a fan on this album. It's just that when they do decide to go dreamy, like on the song Faux Suede Drifter, it just doesn't fit into the flow of the album, and it just sort of spins on itself going nowhere. And like many songs on this album, it overstays its welcome. This is something Goldfrap has never done before. These songs lose direction, and they're just too long in many cases. It's like, it's like there was no one around them with the guts to say, you know, why not shave a minute off of this track, or, you know, this song is a bit on the boring side, right? Wait, wait, that's it. Boring. This record is boring. Goldfrap have built their career on excitement and sonic surprise and innovation. You never knew what was coming with the next record, and on this one, it's all ground that they've tread many times before. It's almost like this was them phoning it in a bit. They looked back on their favorite moments and they tried to pay homage to themselves. In the end, it's just a miss of a record, plain and simple. The track System Magic is well worth checking out. Really, really dug that one. But beyond that, Grab anything else in the Goldfrap catalog and enjoy that instead. Moving on. The other week, I spent some time discussing what turned out to be just four of my all-time favorite female musicians. I had a list of about 15, but, well, I guess I had a lot more to say about those four women than I thought. It's not a bad thing. 
But at the same time, there are so many women who were and are critical to the musical timeline. And today, I want to talk about two specifically that played huge roles, but for a number of reasons, don't really receive the recognition they deserve. They come from different areas of the musical world and completely different eras, and you may be surprised by some of what you're about to learn. Along with that, I am going to discuss a pair of absolutely awesome female rockers that more people need to know because, well, because they're so damn great and sharing great music is what this podcast is all about, right? Right. So let's dig in with one of the women in history who in many ways ushered in an entire musical era, but whose name is not well known. We start all the way back in 1957 and a song called Love is Strange, which some of you may know from a few film soundtracks. The singer on that is named Sylvia Robinson, and in 1973, she actually scored a number one single with the song Pillow Talk. But this really isn't about her music, because as hard as it may be to believe, she did something even bigger than her own number one single, and it's in large part due to a pizza shop in New Jersey. It was August of 1979, and Sylvia and her husband had started a record label a few years earlier. Leading up to this infamous pizza shop encounter, Sylvia had been putting together some loops and sounds from the current disco artists and favorite funk and soul musicians, And she had this really great orchestration put together, but she wasn't really sure how to fill out the vocals. As the legend goes, she went to a friend's birthday party at a club in New York City and saw what was going on in the musical underground at the time. Mainly a DJ playing music, mostly breakbeats, and doing sort of a call-and-response interaction with the crowd. Just a few weeks later, she had her son drive her around Englewood, New Jersey, looking for, well, she was looking for rappers. He took her to a pizza place, and the guy working there closed the place down and, covered in dough and flour, hopped into the back of their car and started rapping for them. This guy's name was Henry Jackson, later known as Big Bank Hank, and throughout the course of the evening, they found two other rappers, Michael Wright, a.k.a. Wonder Mike, and Guy O'Brien, a.k.a. Master G. These three had never worked together before, and once they were in the studio, Sylvia Robinson basically pointed at each of them when they were supposed to start rapping, and they did. Though you may not know their names offhand, you no doubt know their group name and the single they recorded. This single, put together by Sylvia Robinson, who many refer to as the grandmother of hip-hop, is the woman responsible for this. Yep, the label Sylvia and her husband owned was Sugar Hill Records, and she put together the Sugar Hill Gang, who released that song, Rapper's Delight, which most consider to be the song that introduced hip-hop music to the world. But she wasn't done putting hip-hop on the map, because Rapper's Delight actually got a decent amount of criticism from the hip-hop community at the time, as the MCs were basically put into a showcase type of setting and they weren't really representative of the scene. So a few years later, in 1982, Sylvia changed the rap world yet again, producing the first socially conscious rap track, Grandmaster Flash's classic, The Message. I tried to get away, but I couldn't get far Cause a man with the touch of me possessed my car Don't push me, cause- 
Cause I'm close to the edge I'm trying not to lose my head <laughs> It's like a jungle sometimes It makes me wonder how I keep from going under Not only was the song important for exposing the problems of urban life at the time, but it's also seen by many as the track responsible for vaulting MCs to the focus of rap tracks. See, until this point, it was more about the DJ mixing and scratching and putting together all the breakbeats, with the MC sort of, I don't know, being the color commentator in a way. But from this point forward, once the message came out, it was all about the words and the talents of the rappers. So let's reset this for a second. Sylvia Robinson is responsible for two of the most, if not the most important singles in the entire history of rap music. That sound is now a multi-billion dollar industry across the globe and beyond dominated by men. She put together the backing tracks and then found the vocalist to make it complete. She owned the label that got it out to the masses and almost four decades later, the name Sugar Hill Records is one that demands respect and reverence. And yet, ask most people who love music, ask rappers, ask them who Sylvia Robinson is, and chances are most of them will give you a blank stare. Sylvia Robinson played a critical role in the development of music and culture, and more than earned the name, the grandmother of hip-hop. Moving from one genre overly dominated by men to another, let's look into the world of jazz, and I know what you're thinking, jazz has tons of legendary female performers. Billie Holiday, Sarah Vaughan, Ella Fitzgerald, the list goes on and on and on, and it's very true. But when it comes to actual jazz musicians, as in people who played instruments, that list of names drops nearly to zero. While there are a handful of important women in this area, there is one who rises higher and earlier than almost anybody else in jazz, and her story and impact are fascinating. In many ways, when you discuss underrepresented or underappreciated women in music, you might actually want to start with the name Mary Lou Williams. She was born in Atlanta in 1910, but grew up in Pittsburgh as one of 11 children. Before she was six, she taught herself how to play piano. Six years old! No joke. She never had any formal lessons, and by 12 years old, she was basically a touring musician. In 1923, 13 years old, she played with the Washingtonians, which was one of Duke Ellington's first bands. By 15, she was playing late-night sets with the best in the rising jazz sound and was heavily lauded by Louis Armstrong and other early jazz luminaries. She was the real deal. Within just a few more years, she was serving as the arranger, composer, and primary pianist for some of the biggest bands in Kansas City, including a very long stint with the group Clouds of Joy, and for those of you unaware... Kansas City was a hotbed for jazz and big band music at the time. She started doing her own recordings, and the combination of all of these avenues raised her to greater notoriety on a national level. In the late 30s and early 40s, Mary Lou did arrangements for people like Benny Goodman, Tommy Dorsey, and Earl Hines, and it was also during this era where she wrote a boogie piece called Rollum that had a number of labels wanting to sign her exclusively, but in the punk rock that she wanted to be, she remained a freelancer, assuming that she could make more money that way. Throughout the 40s and 50s, she had bands that included a young Art Blakey and would mentor and collaborate with pretty much everyone, including Dizzy Gillespie and Thelonious Monk. I mean, everyone wanted to work with Mary Lou Williams as her ear for music was unparalleled and her knack for arranging and composition, along with her perfect pitch, 
made her a true genius within even the most elite and accomplished musical circles of the time. Legends even say that Williams had an apartment in Harlem that basically became a gathering place for musicians, and many point to this apartment as a key part of the evolution of both swing and jazz music. As the decades went by, regardless of the turn or the shape that jazz took, Mary Lou Williams was there. She was recording, and eventually she was actually teaching the history of jazz at Duke and UMass universities, and she even performed at the White House. She taught and mentored names like Miles Davis, Charlie Parker, Bud Powell. I mean, you name pretty much any giant name in jazz, and it's almost certain that Mary Lou Williams directly or slightly indirectly impacted their playing style and career. She also founded Mary Records, which was the first record label to be owned by a woman and has since become the namesake of the Kennedy Center's Women in Jazz Festival. To me, Mary Lou Williams is fascinating as she answers one of the biggest questions or puzzles in jazz history. It's the question of, sort of, how does it all link together? From early jazz into the bebop years, into the more experimental sounds, tonal jazz, modal jazz, cool jazz, fusion, all those different styles. Mary Lou Williams was always there, encouraging and innovating all the way into the 1980s. And yet again, we have a situation where a true luminary, a talent that goes beyond the word exceptional, a figure that's pointed to by damn near every big name over nearly 50 years, and few people have any idea who Mary Lou Williams was. You cannot deny her impact nor her importance to the development of jazz, and her moves as a businesswoman add even more importance to who she was. So the next time you listen to your favorite jazz record, just remember that somewhere in those arrangements, somewhere in those notes and styles and choices, somewhere in there is the hand and ear of Mary Lou Williams. Okay, Let's move into more modern times, as there are tons of female musicians performing that really need to be on your radar, and I want to start with a truly kick-ass band everyone needs to know, Mexican garage rockers Le Butcherettes. Formed back in 2007 by vocalist and multi-instrumentalist Terry Genderbender, for those claiming real rock and roll is dead, go ahead and spin any of the three records from this band and enjoy being very, very wrong. Kick-ass riffs, plenty of attitude, driving rhythms, frenzy-inducing keyboard patterns, power-packed vocals, and just the right amount of fuzz and grime, and Le Butcherettes deliver all the rock you could want on every single song. More to the point, this is a band that is very much about their message, shouting loudly against misogyny, oppression of women across the world, social injustice, and many other issues all over the political and social spectrums. The other thing I really dig about Le Butcherette is that they never make the same album twice. That is to say, they keep pushing the boundaries of their sound, and from shimmering, almost post-punk sounds, to grinding, super-aggressive, almost metal tones, to orchestrations that defy simple description, this band can truly do it all. 
Also, they're not some super under-the-radar band. Iggy Pop has done vocals on their songs, and they've toured with bands like The Dead Weather, The Deftones, Mars Volta, Dillinger Escape Plan, and did I mention Iggy Pop? Yeah, Iggy freaking Pop is into this band, and that's a man that knows a thing or ten about the best rock music ever made. I hear it all the time. Where are the strong, kick-ass women in music? More specifically, where are they in rock and roll? Well, look, they might not be as easy to find as the men, but they are more than present. And La Butcherettes are one of those bands everyone needs to know. So go grab their debut record. It's called Sin, 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 and enjoy that. Speaking of women who absolutely kick ass in the world of rock, you need to know the name Shinge Shiniwa. She's the singer and bassist for the band The Noisettes and their 2007 record, What's the Time, Mr. Wolf? Well, that's really a record you need to hear. In fact, here's a quick clip so you understand what a unique sound and talent she brings. There's just an overwhelming amount of power and personality in her voice, and it lends a gritty edge alongside gorgeous melodic patterns. That, to me, might be the most intriguing aspect of her voice. The stunning juxtaposition between that almost feral growl and the fact that she nails every single note exactly where it needs to be. So often when vocalists turn up the energy and intensity, they tend to sort of, I don't know, get in the general neighborhood of the right tone, but not quite on key. This can most easily be heard in people's live concerts. But all across this record, Shinge nails things perfectly. There's not another voice I know of that even comes close to her, and the vocal gymnastics she deploys on every song instantly hooked me to this record. Add to her overall badassedness the fact that she drops some super nasty good bass lines across this record, and she is truly in a class all her own. One note though, the first Noisettes record is really their only good one. Sadly, after that, their record label got in the way of great music and they've since put out two records of rather uninspiring pop-centric songs. But What's the Time, Mr. Wolf is a damn good record and absolutely worth more than a lot of spins. So look, there are so many women critical to the development of music history who sort of get lost in all of the history books. Whether this was due to the time that they came up in things or just the overall way that history is written, they're absolutely there and sometimes you just have to dig a bit more to find them. Sure, we know all of the big names who are out in front of everyone, but it's oftentimes those people who stood in the back a little bit and who really moved the pieces around that caused music to develop the way it has. And again, if you try and run out the idea that there aren't amazing women making absolutely awesome music across every single genre in modern times, you're wrong. It's just that simple. Now, before we wrap the episode, I do, of course, have your weekly Ear Fuel listening assignment. For those of you new to the podcast, each week I assign an album to listen to in full beginning to end without any distractions or interruptions. 
It stems from the fact that these days, music has become largely relegated to a background task. You're at the gym, you're at work, you're driving, whatever, and this assignment is about taking some time each week to consciously listen to music for the sake of music alone. This week, since we've been discussing female performers more people need to know, let's check out the year 1967 and the legendary Miriam Makiba's masterpiece album, Pata Pata. Before we even get into the music, you need to understand the woman, as Miriam Makiba was a force for cultural change after having her South African passport and citizenship revoked and basically being exiled from the continent after testifying against apartheid in 1963. She would rightfully be given the nickname of Mama Africa, and along with winning a number of Grammys, she's largely responsible for the beginning of the spread of all forms of African music to the world as a whole. Now, on to the music. And everybody starts to move as soon as Pata Pata starts to To say that this record overflows with joy is an understatement. Even in the more introspective, sorrowful moments, there's a brightness throughout that you can't deny. The record fuses together her native South African sounds with flamenco, acoustic rock, soaring horn sections, pop arrangements, and honestly, maybe even a bit of a psychedelic touch here and there. Pata Pata is just wonderfully diverse in terms of sound, and it's also outright irresistible, even at the first listen. Pata Pata spins and sways with the polyrhythms that most would point to Fela Kuti for pioneering years later, but they're here, and they're damn good. Whether it's the party feel of the title track, which features a rather Bjork-esque shout, the amusing, slightly scandalous Malaysia, the thought-provoking piece of ground, or the song Hapo Zamani, which shimmers with summer, Every second of the record is a true pleasure to experience. You also get traditional love songs and traditional African click songs that fit perfectly with more familiar sounds and forms. All of this sits underneath the extraordinary voice of Miriam Makiba, a vocalist that knows no equal in modern times. Her range is limitless, and it's often the amount of emotion she conveys in the words that truly captivate you. Pata Pata is just one of those records that as soon as you hear it, you'll wonder how you've gone this long without it. You know, it's one of those albums that can always brighten a day, and you will love passing this along to friends not in the know. In short, Pata Pata is one of those special musical moments that everybody needs to experience. And if somehow you've yet to get a hold of this one, you need to change that right now. Thank me later. So that's all for this week. As always, you can hit me up on Twitter at at GetEarFuel and at The Daily Guru. And the podcast is always available in the iTunes and Google Play stores under EarFuel, along with at GetEarFuel.com. That is your weekly EarFuel. Share and enjoy. <laughs>